All right. We have been hanging out with King David. All right. And um, how many of y'all have been just enjoying the series? I know I have been. Uh, it's just so good to see um, how God forms the, the character and, and, and the life of, of David into the man who, who would be regarded as a man after God's own heart. And um, I just thought that this series, uh, this mini-series that I'm preaching on would, would just give you something to chew on this summer as you, as you, you know, spend time at the lake and with your, with your family and friends and, and, um, and hopefully be inspired by the life of David. And so we're on Sermon 2 today, talking about David, a man after God's own heart, David, the giant slayer, a man with a big heart. We're talking about the courage of David. I think, I think it's really needed for us uh, to, to, to talk about courage these days. Because the courage of David is, is, is complete here, a contrast to the other, to the other people that we're going to see in the story. We will learn together how to have courage and be like David. How courage and faith plays a part in winning the battles God called us to. Because there are battles that God called us to. They're called spiritual battles. Ephesians 6. We live in a day and age where courage is lacking. Men are feminized and, and we're not sure who we are anymore. Anymore. Not only men, but vice versa. We don't know who we are. And so I believe this is a message that is relevant for us today. See, how, how do we know that we're losing courage as, as people, as society? Here's the question. Would people 50 years ago find us courageous today? Courage is crucial. You see, it, when we think about history, for example... Victory would not have been possible, possible for the Allied forces against the Nazi invasion. Take the victory at the sea, at the Atlantic, where brave men and women fought to keep Allied convoys running and made sure supply, supply lines were kept open to European routes. For six years, they were doing that, bravely putting their, themselves on the line. Courage is a huge factor in winning the war that we're called to. And here's the thing. Real courage comes out only when danger is present. In the story that we're going to tackle today, there is an invasion too. And the enemy troops have a secret weapon, a giant. Have you seen a giant in person? Anyone? <laughs> Anyone have tall, tall people in their family? Um, I was talking to Jason uh, earlier today, and, and I tried to see if he's going to come up here to, just to see uh, uh, just a live example of a giant. I mean, I'm five foot six, and so my height would actually be closer to David at this point in his life, and um, we'll see. Would, you, would he come up? No, not really. <laughs> All right, just see him after the sermon, and you'll see he's big and brute force of a guy. <laughs> I'm still willing to, to box with him, though, so just so you know, we'll do that sometime this summer. 
Have you seen a giant in person? You see, this story is relevant and it's inspirational because there are giants in our lives too. There are giants in our lives. I mean, I mean, if 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 you live in, in Canada, anywhere in the world, there there are inflations, rates, rising costs of living. There are giants too of, of fear of the unknown. If you graduated from youth and you're thinking about the future, what am I gonna be? Where am I gonna go? Fear of the unknown. That's a that's a giant. Rising pressures at work. Perhaps you work at at, at a place where the, the, the pressures to conform to what everyone else is doing, the mantras, the, the agendas, is there. Sickness and pains, traumas and brokenness, addictions and oppressions. There are giants in our lives. Have you been dealing with giants lately? How do we deal with giants that, that you and I face? in life. See, to to people who are undergoing fights with giants, these are surreal experiences. You're in it. And perhaps God's word can be a a game changer for you today. Perhaps reflect on the, the characters in the story. Because giants are real. As the song says, we don't have to fight Goliath. I may not have to fight a physical giant, but there are giants in my life. Or I don't know if I'm gonna be able to fight and win. And so this is the setting of the scene at the, at, 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 uh, at the, at the life of, in the life of David. After he gets anointed, God prepares this young shepherd out in the wilderness. And as more doors open for him to develop his character and his skills, more precious rise. This was a time of personal and spiritual growth for David. For him to develop his character, to, for him to serve in the courts of the king, for him to serve faithfully so that God would begin to prepare his heart, to have a big heart to fight the battles that are big. Do you have that kind of heart today? Do you want to be like David? Do you want to be courageous not long after David was anointed, where God, you know, officially chooses him as, as king and starts the process of development, David gets promoted into King Saul's court. He becomes his armor bearer. He becomes a musician in his court. And then the battle scene. There's one battle that everyone is talking about, the fight against the infamous giant. You know the story, David versus Goliath. The one everyone is afraid of, the giant from Gath, Goliath. I mean, just the sound of his name is scary. The giant from Gath, Goliath. This is the fight in which Israel is undoubtedly underdog, you see. There was a Philistine invasion. The army sur- surrounded Israel at this point. They were gathered between a ravine of dry uh, lake, and there's the army of God and army of the Philistine. And it was a custom for the ancient times, especially for 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 tribes and nations like the Philistines, to uh, do a champion battle, a representative battle where. 
the whole, the whole team don't have to go fight. They just have to choose a champion to fight the battles for them. And so what does Israel, Israel have? No one. Why don't they have anyone? It's because the giant is on the other side. Here is Goliath. And so, and so we see here, we see a, a, a picture of David being anointed. He was a boy, barely. He would not have been over 20 years old for sure because he wasn't in God's uh, military, uh, Israel's military uh, yet. And so, and, and here's the thing. Here's, here's the challenge. Here's the big guy. 1 Samuel 17, that's where we're going to camp today. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Soko and Judah and camped between Soko and Ezekah and Ephes the Meme. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up, up in, in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. In the middle of the two camps, the ravine, notice this, would have been a dry riverbed, and notably to say, it is as dry as the courage of Israel. You see, God is forming the story here and, and, and wanting us to notice some things. The dryness of courage for the Israelites as they perceive the enemy from the distance. You know, this reminds me of... Uh, Every time we have youth nights and, and uh, whenever I choose teams, you know, for, for, for different games and, and sometimes it's hard to make it really evenly matched. And so kids would be, you know, saying, oh, it's not fair. You know, like we want that guy, this guy. And, uh, you know, I do my best, but um, I just say, you're right, you know, just have fun, have good observations, and then we'll, we'll choose the teams later. Have fun losing, essentially, is what I'm saying. Why are the Israelites afraid of, 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 of the enemy? Here's the thing. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. If I had Jason here, he would have been 6'2". And so just add how many inches to that? Huge guy. Huge wingspan. He wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins, bronze armor, bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, there was a shield bearer was walking in front of him. See, the account of David and Goliath goes to much detail. This is one of the most detailed narratives in the Bible. And so, there's a reason for that. There's tons of lessons that we can learn from here. The giant is huge. He's tall. He's muscular. Big wingspan. Bigger than Shaq, Shaq and Yao Ming. You know, the NBA would have been happy to just have him as their team member. They would have fought over him today. You know, have you ever seen a, a person so tall they did just dunk without jumping? I mean, that would have been Goliath. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. 
Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins the fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost courage and were terrified. And who, would, who wouldn't be terrified of a real giant? If we're talking about the physical stats, he breaks the scales off the charts. The, the punch meter would have no number to put out. He would have broken the, the thing. Every single one of the soldiers in ranks sees the reality, we can't beat this guy. No one beats this giant. No one's big enough. And so here it is. Now, David was the son of Ephratite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons during the Saul's reign and was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons followed Saul to the war, and their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, and the next, and Shammah, the third. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. And so here, here is David. Here's the faithful servant of God. David is anointed already at this point. He is servant to the king's court, Saul, armor bearer, musician in his court. Also at the same time, he is serving as a farmer in his family, taking care of the sheep. Just faithfully and unassumingly does what he's told to do. I mean, my generation could take a lesson from that. Go to work. Just do your job. 1 Samuel 17, 16 to 20. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day, Jesse had told his son, David, take this half bushels of roasted grain along with these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Allah, fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early the next morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had changed, charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp at the army, as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. We see as an observation here, David, not only a water boy to the army, and his, and his brothers, too. He works at Skip the Dishes as well. That's the modern-day equivalent. Works at Skip the Dishes for his family. Takes the precise order of bread, you know, that his father had ordered him uh, to, to bring to his brothers. Delivers it. And don't forget the Italian cheese, right? Cheese bread. You know, that's what we're trying to make in the battlefield, Italian cheese bread. He takes it to the field commanders, and boy, David knew how to be a servant. What a lesson we can learn from David here. Remember, at this point, he was already anointed to be king, and yet he realizes he had to, play, he had to pay his dues to get there. It's implied in the text that even though David was called to the highest office in Israel, 
Yeah, that happens, by the way, in, in chapter 16, which uh, we skipped out. He was a servant to all. Boy, we can learn from David. Our politicians could learn from David today. He's soon to be in position, but didn't get his head like most people do. He doesn't have a big head. We would learn he has a big heart, right? That's the lesson. 21, Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly a champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward with a Philistine battle line and shouted his unusual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated, retreated from him, terrified. And so here's the customary thing, the champion, Goliath. Each camp chooses their champion. Israel had none. They were all terrified. And only the best and most decorated fighters were chosen. That's Goliath. Anyone love fighting here? Am I the only guy who loves fighting? Anyone willing to fight a giant? You know, physically. <laughs> and like, does, does anyone actually box here? You know, take boxing classes, yeah? Took MMA? All right. Not a lot. But I take lessons, by the way. You know, we can do that on the side if you want. <laughs> the answer for the entire Israelite camp is that there was nobody. Not even King Saul, whose name means standing tall in Hebrew. Who, who is, who the scripture says stands foot, a foot taller than everyone, right? He would have been the guy if we're just talking about physical size, at least the closest to, to the Goliath. But he was a king on paper. At this point, God had already rejected him to be king. He would not serve the, the full term that God had intended for him. You know, that happens in chapter 15. We talked about that last week. It reminds me of that Japanese paper art called Origami. You know, Saul's heart was easily crushed as everyone else. He had a paper heart. What a paper king. Looks good on paper. The people chose him, but he ain't here for it. And if you and I are honest, if we're given the same set of circumstances today, would we be any different than the paper king? they all impressive, tall, dark, and handsome, Saul. Would we be any different? Have you ever felt like Saul lately? Fearful of the circumstances you're in? Terrified of the giants in your life? Have you been dealing with giants lately? How do you deal with giants? You see, we contrast David's to Saul's strategy here. You know, he's, he's still the king here. And previously, an Israelite man had declared, you know, verse 25, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich, and he will give him his daughter 
The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. Look at this. Look at what he does. This is the big bounty. This is the reward. I ain't fighting the fight. I'll let someone else do it. I'll use my riches and and wealth. Let somebody else do the work. So for days and even weeks of this standoff between the army of God and army of Israel, no one wanted to step up. And Saul was thinking, desperate times call for desperate measures. He's probably thinking that. Giant problems require giant solution. I know what to do. He issues the big incentive. Kill giant, get a reward, loads of cash, passage to the royal family, and don't forget no tax for the entire family of the guy that does this. See, people say money talks, and it can do a lot to make people do what they don't want to do. But what a testimony here in that even a giant reward, as we were going to see, no one wanted to step up and take the risk. This reminds me of like the videos I see online of social experiments. You know, where, where they would create a scenario to see if strangers would be willing to step up in, in a situation. You know, strangers would pick up, you know, little girls, and, and sometimes someone would step up and, and, and um, do something about it and be, be man enough to, to handle the, the threat. But sometimes they won't. A lot of times, they won't step in. We have someone who is willing to step in. There's a boy who is not even old enough to be in Israel's army, who is willing to step up here, God's servant, David. Verse 26, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What a complete contrast to everyone else. David would not allow God's name to be mocked. Only David was disturbed enough in him by the fact that eventually, whatever thing this this giant is doing is going to go against God's reputation. Their lack of courage would have represented the Lord as weak to other nations. David would not fall in line like everyone else. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You see, David was speaking against Goliath's identity here. And in the process implies that Israel's identity, he does it by talking about circumcision. Now, if you don't know what this means, I'm going to tell you now. It's simply this. Circumcision is about the covenantal relationship between God and his people. The cutting of the piece of skin represented their identity and their purpose that is different than other nations around them. They had a different identity. David believed they should be different and their enemies are no match against the Lord, no matter how big God is bigger. That's what he believes. That's implied in the text, in the details. Do you feel the same way? Are you passionate about seeing people come back to their true identity as you see society going the other way? 
Do you care enough to see God's people to put yourself on the line so that people can be led back to their true identity and purpose in God? David shows us the way. You see, we live in a time and place in history that's no different to David. Our society is as a whole that swallowed up the lies of the enemy and brought the giant lie that they, they can be whatever they want to be according to their own, their own desires. Doesn't matter. Instead of becoming who God, their creator, wants them to be. It's a complete rejection of the creator that has endowed them with dignity. 27 to 29, the troops told him about the offer, concluding that this is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here? He asked. Whoa. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance, your evil heart, and you came down to see the battle. What have I done now, protested David. It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. Here's the truth of the matter. If you're willing to step up and be part of the change in whatever company, whatever culture you're in, you will be in under pressure. If you step up to do any type of leadership, at some point you will be criticized. David was criticized by his own brother, big brother here. And the people who criticize you are usually the people are, that are doing less but are jealous of your position. They are in the army of, of Saul, but they are not willing to step up to fight the giant. And when David says something... They bring him down. Instead of clapping back at them, David shows us a good tactful leadership here. He listens. He communicates clearly. He doesn't retaliate even after his brothers have demoralized him. Imagine the Lord talking about David. He is a man after my own heart, but his brothers say he has an evil heart. Who are they listening to? David shows he is a servant leader. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, so he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. And so again, Saul shows himself to be a smart guy here. He's analytical. Fight logistics don't make sense, David. You can't fight this giant. You're only a youth. But this is exactly the problem when it comes to some of the battles that God is calling us to fight. God sometimes doesn't want you to be analytical. It's good to know things. And David's going to show that, that he knows some things about battlefield. But it requires complete faith and trust. How do you become courageous? Complete faith and trust in God. David's going to show us the way. See, David would answer, again, tactfully, the king. He would go on to lay out his field experience, you know, kind of a little bit of credentials. Can't really call it credentials, you know. He's not really part of the army. But here he is. 
shows his uh, field experience to the king. Instead of defying the king's order, he tactfully disagrees and convinces the king of why he can fight this giant. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it's reared, if it's reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised giant will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the bear, the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Young David, a skilled and diligent guy, he knew his calling. He knew where he is headed and he does everything skillfully, even talking to the king. As shepherd, he protects the flock from the most ferocious animals in the world. You know, last summer we took a, a trip to BC and um, BC Milestone there. Um, you know, if you take long drives, you know, sometimes you have to take a leak and, and you got to go. And as I was, you know, taking the leak, you know, far enough from, 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 from the traffic, I saw this grizzly bear. And my initial thought was to come and kind of pet it. But I'm like, wait, what? This is a bad idea. And then I'm, I'm kind of like, I got scared. I'm like, I remember the videos that I watch online of people being mauled by bears. And you know what? In the middle of the process, I didn't have to go anymore. <laughs> I, it was, my, my, my wife w would tell you that. That's true, right? Remember? <laughs> I have a video of the bear too. I can show you after the sermon. I don't know how David managed to kill lions and bears. God's presence is with him, guiding him, for sure. But man, what a testimony. A complete evidence of bravery here. We can learn from David. He was able to see his past battles in the wilderness as a testimony for his present day battle. He remembers how not, how, how, how not, that he could trust his skill, but the Lord would deliver him from the paw of the lion and the bear. This was the secret of David's courage, the ability to look at God's goodness in his life, using it as fuel for courage and faith. David had a big heart because he was filling it up with history of testimony after testimony of battles, of victories with God. What a lesson. Do you have those stories you can look back on to remember the goodness of God? Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put on helmet, David's head, had him put on armor. David strapped his sword over the military clothes and tried to walk. But he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones and from the wadi and put them in the pouch in the shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Here comes David. David shows himself well to know himself, be comfortable in his own skin and in his own skill. He doesn't want to compromise his own style. He knows it would be it would be cool to wear Saul's armor, but he doesn't do it. 
It would make him more vulnerable in the battle. Slow him down. This shows David, though a youth, he knew how to fight. He knew his strength. David wasn't just some high school punk. He, he knew his strength was, was agility and ability to draw quick. And, and thus, Saul's army would have just slowed him down. And so he knows his stuff. The Philistines came closer and closer to David with a shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistines looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beast. Here comes the verbal assault and intimidation. I'm pretty sure this is where ring walks were derived from. You know, Goliath coming to closer and closer to the ring, <laughs> to the flat ravine. Goliath, flamboyant, trash talk. This is, this is where uh, the modern day gets it from. And then David trades with him with sharp words. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him, and today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give you the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, but for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. David makes us aware that he ain't just going into battle naively and ignorantly. He names the weapons of the enemy against him and what he brings to the battle. A few sticks and stones. But here's the secret. Here's what I want you to learn today. His secret weapon is the name of the Lord. The presence of God in his life. That's why everyone's heart failed, but his heart is big enough to have God in it. In his personal relationship with him, he knows nothing can defeat me if I have God with me. Do you have God in your life? My professor said this. This is a commentary. He says, furthermore, David expressed an awareness that Goliath had committed a capital crime by insulting and thus blaspheming the God of Israel. Here's the thing. According to the Torah, any individual guilty of blasphemy, even a non-Israelite, must be stoned. Leviticus 24, 16. Perhaps this was an underlying reason why David chose the weapon he did in front of the Philistine. Even before serving as Israel's king, David would prove himself to be a diligent follower of the Torah. The Torah is the five books of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible. And thus, a man after God's own heart through his word. You can't follow God without following his word. That's why I think, I think just today, through this summer, I just want to expose us and, and, and saturate us in God's word. 50 verses that I'm doing today. You know, Pastor Mike's going to be like, ah, that's too many. When he comes back, he's going to tell me, that's too many verses. Should have just summarized. But uh, I love verses. And so here it is. I'm going to call the team up. 
as we, as we prepare to end uh, the story here. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out the stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David empowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. What a guy. What a God. David runs toward the danger fearlessly. You see, the normal intuition, the normal response is to run away like everyone else. But David does the opposite. He runs to danger. He runs to the giant in front of him with the presence of God in him, moving forward, confident and courageous. Do you want to be like David? He did what he does best under pressure. He goes. He not only defeats the giant, he overpowers the enemy. How? Through God's power. Through God's word. And so here's the application. Be fearless. David feared the Lord most, so nothing could scare him. It's, it's simple. If you fear God the most, you don't have to fear anyone else. And number two, trust in the Lord. It's only about fearing, it's not only about fearing God, but trusting Him more than anything else. That's what David does here. As believers, you and I are called to fight giants in our life, and through the process, God grows and refines our faith so that we're able to trust Him with bigger and more intimidating giants. If you're just checking out the church, maybe you're listening today here. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, I encourage you to discover who he is. I encourage you to reflect on the story and perhaps find yourself, see, not as David in the story. Here's, I'm going to make the theological point now and, and end our, our, our sermon. You see, the theological thrust of this text is not that we are young David who is able to faithfully do everything God called him to do without fear. That's not it. Though this is a great example to be inspired by and motivated by. That's a good example. It's more accurate to say that our identity as sinners is more like the Philistine, actually, in the story. Who, in our own sin and rebellion against God, are considered enemies of Christ. Romans 5, 8, it says, But God proves His own love for us, in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The beauty of the gospel message is that our sin and rebellion can be wiped away clean through what Jesus does on the cross. Perhaps there's a tug in your heart as you are listening, as you think about the giants in your life, and, and maybe life is not working out. Maybe it is working out. But really, the theological point would give you a picture that we are the enemy in our own sin. We are the Philistines. But God, 2,000 years, 2000 years ago, Jesus comes down, bridges the gap, pays for our sin so that we can be forgiven. Past, present, and future can be forgiven, wiped away clean. And what's the catch? Consider Jesus. He is the only Savior. In fact, 
the other theological point is that David would point to Jesus as the perfect example of a person whose complete trust and faith is in God. Courageous to defeat the giant of sin that none of us are willing or able to fight against. Doesn't matter if your good works you know, can be piled up. None of that would be worthy enough to defeat sin, to wipe your sin away. It's only Jesus. And so I, I want to invite you to the communion table today. That's, that's what we're celebrating. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he was dealing with the giant of sin in our lives. And we continue to celebrate that today. If you're a believer, we celebrate the life and death and resurrection of Jesus at the table. So I'm going to invite the, the ushers. We're going to have the, uh, the right side um, you know, come in over, over here and then left side come in over there and then receive uh, the communion, the bread, and uh, we, we have the gluten-free version over here. So if I can have Joe and um, Henry. I invite you to the table today. We thank the Lord for dealing with a giant we can never deal with. And so think about that. Reflect on that today. Thank you, Lord, for your example. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you are able to defeat the giant we were never able to even fight against. And you know, maybe there's some of you here who or part of God's people already, part of the Israelite camp, and you're afraid of a giant in your life. Pray that the living God of Israel would lead you today and empower you today to deal with that giant. Because he defeated the greatest giant sin in our lives, we are able to do everything he's called us to do. And so we thank you, Lord. We glorify you now. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And so would you come as we sing a song? Grab the elements. So I would just have everybody stand from the side here. You can come and then go back to your seat.